0: I encourage you, if you're just starting out of particularly food business, to keep as much control over it as you can, because if you're at the mercy of your producer, that just makes things extra difficult.
1: Welcome to Learn With Shopify. I'm Adam Leventer. Let's say you've got a great product, delicious coffee, comfortable shoes, but you just can't seem to stand out. We've got you covered today. I'm with Teek Chandler of Chandler Honey, and branding is a big part of what's made her direct-to-consumer honey business a true success. Hey, Teek.
0: Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Adam.
1: So branding is one of those things that I think a lot of business owners are challenged with, at least at the beginning when they get started. How did the brand take shape for you guys?
0: I made the conscious decision of investing in my branding early rather than I knew I was going to have to do it eventually. Might as well put the money into it at the beginning. So yes, it it was certainly a priority at the beginning.
1: So when you look at brand Mm -hmm. and you start thinking about the aspects of building that brand equity, be it a logo, uh, a design of a website, Mm -hmm. things like that, did you have certain priorities? Like how did you think about that?
0: Yeah, it's being super intentional with exactly what you want colors, fonts, tone to be, brainstorming it out, really writing it down, solidifying it, and then not wavering from that kind of thing. So especially with a brand like mine, which is my name, and it has my kind of personality infused to it, it's easier to stay on brand, I would say, than maybe a product that's not associated with your name, but being super intentional right from the beginning. Super important.
1: So when this starts to sh- take shape, yeah. do you pull friends? Do you pull family members? How do you know that you're on the right track?
0: I'm. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I made vision boards myself of what I wanted to do, and I did hire out people. So hire people to do my logos, colors, all these things. I know it's not accessible for maybe everyone starting out, um, but even if you're just doing that yourself, I would say just um, take some time really focus on what you want your brand to look like, look at brands that inspire you, what you want the look and feel to be like, run it by family members, ask them, what do you feel when you see this font? Like, what is the vibe you get from this? Just putting investment into it, whether it's your time or hiring someone else to do it.
1: So mood boarding, is that a real thing? Is that something that you guys undertook when you started? Yeah,
0: definitely. And not just on Pinterest either, like uh, grabbing stuff from everywhere, printing it out, getting it on a board. Getting the the vibe for what you want people to feel when or like hear when they see your brand.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, for those that are watching or listening, that may not have a good understanding of like how much do they budget for brands, yeah. Like what to allocate in terms of the overall expenditure for launching their business? How much would somebody consider?
0: Uh, that's a it can be a range of anything. I would say kind of two to even five thousand dollars to get in the the branding of the colors, the fonts, the and then that included, sorry, my label creation as well. So yeah, if you want it, you can spend as much money as you possibly want. You could do it for free if you want, but putting a couple thousand dollars into it, I think gives you a nice place to start from.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, were the resources available to you on Shopify? Like, what advice would you give to those that are wanting to build their site, build their brand on Shopify yes, to definitely. get started?
0: And I think the reason why my site looks so great, and I get compliments on it all the time, one is definitely Shopify. It just makes it easy. I created the website myself, and I'm not a designer by any means. Uh, Shopify makes it super easy. But also investing in quality photography just takes it to the next level. And then I would also give a tip for people listening uh, with Shopify, the in-house themes are great. But if you want to spend another 100 $125 to buy a theme, I think it's definitely worthwhile.
1: So part of branding is always sort of the backstory of one's company. Yeah. You have a very interesting backstory. You. Your family has been at... Uh, beekeeping and, and making honey for almost 100 years the now. The farm
0: itself has been around since 1937. Yep, so long history with the farm. The, my company is separate from my parents' company, which is called Scandia Honey, but I exclusively source my honey from there. Uh, it's nice to know exactly where the honey is coming from and to share their the story that they've already brought with the farm, kind of bring it into my own brand as well. So it's a tiny town in Alberta that's got 125 people. Tiny, tiny. Um, and so, um, yeah, so lucky to grow up there and to be getting my hands dirty, getting stung by bees all the time. Uh, it was a great and very unique childhood. I don't think I realized how unique it was until I until I left.
1: <laughs> I read something funny that getting your hands dirty and honey all day gives you really, really soft, moisturized hands. Yes, definitely.
0: Hands. <laughs> that, we were just talking about this earlier. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I, it was a running joke of my parents that I'm – was always sticky growing up. I think they're to blame for that more than me because they're the ones who chose to be around honey all the time. So yeah, always covered in honey. And I thought I would grow out of it. But no, I'm still to this day covered in honey because that's my job. (laughs) (laughs)
1: How much of that personal backstory um, gets intertwined with Chandler as a company, as a brand, and how important do you think it is to tie someone's origin story to a brand?
0: I think with honey in particular, because of the sourcing of it is so important and is so increasingly important as the customer is getting more aware of like that there's fake honey out there, for example. Yes, I wanted to pull in my family story a ton so that people could trust the honey source that they're getting it from. Also, I obviously feel so much personal ties with my family and growing up. um, I wanted to name the company my last name so that I continue to be proud of the product that I'm creating. Like, this is a part of me. Like, if I'm not having a, a product that meets my own personal standards that I'd put my name on it, then I'm doing something wrong. So um, that was something that was super important to me.
1: So you get the um, the first inning, let's say, of the brand right. Yeah. You launch the business and then there's the whole social media, building community, yeah. that whole piece. So how does this business start to scale and how does the brand start to scale? Yep.
0: Yeah, I would say slowly and consistently. I mean, you see some brands out there on Instagram that suddenly have 10,000, 20,000 followers and you're like, this doesn't quite seem right. They only are getting, you know, 30 likes on a post. So I enjoy like really interacting with my community a lot, um, replying to all comments, hopping on stories and just talking to the people who will be willing to listen all the time and making people feel really connected personally with me and my brand, especially because myself and my brand are so closely tied together. Um, So yeah, I would rather have a much smaller community that is really engaged with me and really feels like they're part of the process um, and really trusts what they're buying rather than having a huge following that isn't necessarily so tied to the brand.
1: What was getting that early inbound like? Like, were there was there comments? Uh, was there feedback that you found surprising, found interesting? Was there helpful commentary that helped you build the brand?
0: Um, I couldn't believe how much of it was like word of mouth. People reaching out to me and say, "Hey, I found you because your friend shared this, and then they were my neighbor, and all these things." And those people becoming very engaged with the brand, which is wonderful. But also, my um, community has been so good about providing suggestions on especially what flavors of honey they want to see. That's something that's unique about Chandler Honey versus another honey brand is we do honey infusions. So we're using premium ingredients like lemon zest that we're zesting in-house or scraping vanilla beans, for example, making unique flavors like creme brulee, pina colada. Um, And then I've got my community saying, hey, like gingerbread sounds amazing for Christmas. Like, Mm. can we make that happen? I will walk people through on my Instagram stories, exactly what the the testing process looks like, exactly what decisions go into it, creating the labels, all of these things that make them feel like they're a part of the process. And then they're that much more likely to buy, of course, which is great.
1: You know, we were talking earlier about uh, what it was like to have honey in the pantry yes. a decade ago. Mm-hmm. You sort of had honey at the back. You know, we had a plastic container of mm-hmm. Billy bee honey. Yeah now. We've got sort of this organic Manuka honey front Mm -hmm. center of the pantry. We use it nightly in teas. Why has there been this sort of resurgence in honey? And what are the benefits that people didn't understand maybe a decade ago that they now get?
0: What I think is so wonderful is people are really starting to appreciate and understand the importance of just food in general. I would say customers are more savvy when it comes to buying food, but particularly honey. Um, Even there was a Netflix show a couple years ago called Rotten. Episode one is about honey and fake Mm. honey around the world. So people are getting exposed to this, that if you're not going to pay a lot of money for honey, chances are you're going to get something that's cut with sugar water, for example, imported from around the world. You don't have any connection to that beekeeper. You don't know what's in it. Um, So people who are consumers now who are willing to pay more for honey and invest in their local beekeepers, Canadian beekeepers... Um, has been just so wonderful um, and really helps beekeepers like my parents and all of our neighbors um, create livings for themselves, which is wonderful.
1: This is a food product at the end of the day, right? So how do you get customers to come around to trying the product, let's say, for the first time If they can't go and taste it at a food show, uh, in a grocery store where there's Mm -hmm. no sampling, like how do we convey that that to a customer?
0: Yeah, and because my company launched November 2020, so in the pandemic, it's not like any samples were allowed. We're finally just getting back into that. Um, But was super important for me, tying in with the branding as well, is investing money in product photography. So letting people kind of taste it with their eyes, showcasing the ingredients that go into the honey With the product itself, so people can kind of see what they're getting into. That has been wonderful, but also me showing recipes on my page, showing out again on my Instagram stories how I'm using it, I think is really helpful for people to feel like they're tasting it without actually tasting it. And then I love to do farmers markets whenever I can. We were able to sample a little bit last summer, um, and it is. I mean, any food product, but particularly a product like mine that people are not necessarily used to seeing infused honey products. It makes such a difference with conversion rates. If people taste it, they will most likely buy it. So yeah, it's been a struggle with COVID. I hope we can get back to more sampling because that's very helpful, but photography and just letting your community in through social media is very helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're they're not only tasting this stuff, they're consuming it on a pretty regular basis. Yes, are saying definitely. that people are going through jars, what, <laughs> every month, every two months? I have
0: customers that will replace an order every month or month and a half, which is so wonderful to see. Like, this is a, definitely like a premium honey product, um, but people who love honey really love honey. And I also tell people all the time is don't save a special honey like this or any special food product at all for a special occasion because your life is a special occasion. So you should be enjoying the good food and and don't save it.
1: And they're not just putting it in teas. Yeah. They're not just uh, taking spoonfuls of it. They're using it in cocktails, are they? Yeah,
0: that's right. So I love to use it as like a simple syrup base for my cocktails. Um, In salad dressings is really wonderful in baking, as a meat marinade, like there are so many ways that you can use honey, especially flavored honey, beyond what you typically think of with honey, which is usually tea or on toast. Um, so yeah, it's a very versatile product. And again, so this is that education part of letting potential customers see mm-hmm. how you're using honey, how I'm using honey, and getting inspired to do it themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you launched during the pandemic. Yeah. A lot of econ businesses got started during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what people didn't necessarily expect was all of these supply chain challenges oh that surfaced yes. uh, over the course of the past two years. And I'm thinking of things like increased cost of goods sold, uh, longer lead times in terms of shipping, and subsequently higher shipping costs yeah. for customers, right? You, on the other hand, have this advantage of having the product manufactured here in Canada mm-hmm. domestically. Yeah. But are there still some challenges related to shipping, lead yeah. times, things like that? There
0: definitely are still challenges. I love, at least for my product, that I control all the production. I have the production space myself. I still am very hands-on with production, and I don't think I'll ever give that up. I encourage you, if you're just starting out of a particularly food business, to keep as much control over it as you can, because if you're at the mercy of your producer, that just makes things extra difficult. So yeah, one of the things that was challenging for me, even at the beginning was sourcing my jars. Mm. I have, I wouldn't call it a specialized jar, but I would call it like an excellent jar. (laughs) And I sampled a lot of jars before I made my final decision. One of the things that was really important to me was that it passed like a drop test. So Mm. it wasn't very shatterable when it was sent in the mail Mm. because that's just a bad customer experience, obviously. Honey, so sticky everywhere, not good. Anyway, so I was originally sourcing my jars right from Italy. And they would come by the pallet full. That's a lot of jars. But yeah, they were taking three months to get here. And it just got longer and longer. And you couldn't contact anyone from there. And it was just ridiculous. So finally, I have sourced them from a Canadian supplier, um, which just makes, even though supply chain issues are still a problem, uh, the more Canadian or local that you can source your ingredients and supplies from, I'd say that that's a very helpful tip that I I wish I would have considered at the beginning. Mm-hmm.
1: The other advantage is taking advantage of an increased demand mm-hmm. suddenly from the customer side. I mean yeah. if you've got jars, let's mm-hmm. say coming from Italy and there's a shortage or there are delays, yeah. now all of a sudden you have the spike in demand domestically, you can't totally. be as adaptable as a And business of course can those
0: delays were happening during Black Friday Christmas because that's <laughs> the way life <laughs> right. works. Um, but what I think is super special about small business owners, especially who are hosted on Shopify and selling through Shopify is that we are more nimble than a big company could ever hope to be. So whether that's launching new flavors, not launching new products, um, and so that's a strength of ours that we need to play to.
1: How do you think about distribution? You know, you mentioned the word control, yes. and you've got this direct-to-consumer model, of mm-hmm. course, yep. uh, through Shopify mm-hmm. and through e-commerce. Yes. But you're also in boutiques. And if I'm correct, you're also in Hudson's Bay yeah, and Walmart. Right, and so um, right. There are some huge advantages in terms of scaling. Uh, if mm-hmm. you are in big box retail, but at the same time, much more costly. Yes. Uh, commitments to shelf space and things like that. Mm-hmm. So for m- merchants that are considering a variety of distribution or broadening distribution, let's yes. say, beyond e-commerce, what advice could you share?
0: Yeah. I So I would say that my revenue kind of falls into thirds even right now. So yeah. a third is e-commerce through Shopify directly. A third is me selling directly to stores, giving wholesale discounts. And then a third is distributors now. Hopefully that, um, that last percentage will bump up over the next couple months, looking to push more distributors. But I would say, yeah, still own as much as you possibly can. So like you should be the one to sending cold emails, doing cold calls, showing up to talk to the manager at stores so that you can sell to them directly because you're going to be much more profitable doing that than having selling to a distributor who is going to sell to that exact same store. And then you can keep the relationship with the store owner, um, get featured on their social media more often, you know, run a, a sampling table at their store, for example. All of these things that the more you can keep it controlled from your end, the better you're going to so do that for as long as possible. I would also caution people who are especially just starting out to look look at distributors or like bigger channels who, you know, have store minimums or shelving fees or whatever is just like be very careful about what contracts you're signing. Make sure that you're reading them thoroughly and you're not – Um, getting yourself into something that maybe you're not ready for, or maybe that is not desirable for you.
1: In terms of marketing and customer acquisition, I would imagine early on you go word of mouth, referral, Mm -hmm. a lot of it's organic. And now all of a sudden, as you start to grow your community on Instagram, uh, maybe on Facebook, some of these other channels, you've Mm -hmm. even talked about TikTok, I think.
0: Yeah, a little bit. (laughs)
1: Um, What are you doing in terms of marketing on those channels?
0: Yeah, I would say I'm still keeping it as organic as possible. So I would say I get most of my followers through word of mouth. I've experimented with ads Mm -hmm. before through Facebook, Instagram. But sometimes, like I'm noticing I'm getting followers who, yeah, might follow me but are not as engaged. They don't have a personal tie with me. So yeah, as organic as I can keep it, it's cheaper as well. But like, yeah, going to farmer's markets, talking to as many people as I possibly can, asking them to follow me on social media. That's how I hope to continue it for as long as I possibly can.
1: (laughs) Um, These cornerstones that you've mentioned in the past, quality, sustainability, price, um, how are are these big differentiators for Chandler? What are some of the key the key differences, let's say between your brand mm-hmm. and some of the other organic honey brands that are out there on the market?
0: Yeah, I would say what's different about my brand is definitely the family history that I have with it and me playing up my family story of of beekeeping and being super connected to the product in that way, knowing exactly where the honey is coming from. Um, but that's not different than, say, any other local beekeeper. Uh, they have that family story too. They have, you know connections to their exact hives. What's different about me then is the infusion and flavor infusions that I do. Um, super unique recipes that I've created myself and I think would be hard to replicate. Um, and just using really premium ingredients too. Like there are a few other honey infusions out in the world. I didn't invent that concept by any means, Mm -hmm. but rather than using like a peppermint oil, for example, I'd rather use the real thing rather than using orange extract. I'd rather be zesting the oranges myself.
1: Mm -hmm. Were there brands that were inspirational early on before you launched that you were watching?
0: Um, Not so much in the honey space, but more so um, actually skincare. I was Mm. super inspired for skincare is very trendy right now in general, but yeah, super beautiful packaging that makes you feel connected to a brand colors that make you feel something and make you like have your, live your aspirational life. I know food is a little bit different in that sense, but yeah, making a product that people are extremely proud to consume and proud to show off on social media or talk to their friends about, that's, that's what I wanted to capture.
1: Honey and skincare, natural fit, right? Yes. Well, maybe in the future.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is a natural fit, especially with like beeswax that I have, that I have available to me. Who Uh knows? Maybe one day we'll go into the, the skincare and beauty space.
1: That's your next horizontal (laughs) expansion. There you go. Um, you know, it's funny, your background mm-hmm. uh, is interesting because out of school or out of university, I should say, you yeah. go into tech sales.
0: That's right. Hmm. <laughs> so uh, I moved out of my small town to go to university, went to UBC out in Vancouver, and my degree is actually in HR. I feel like I kind of went about my career in a different way because I always knew I wanted to start my own business. That was my dream from the beginning. I was working backwards on what kind of skills do I need in order to be a good business owner one day. Um, so yeah, I my degree's in HR because I wanted to f- practice working with people more. Um, and I, I'm really happy that I did that. I use even still my employment law classes a ton, which is kind of surprising. But yeah, anyway, that's the most helpful courses. And then I started working at a tech startup in Gastown, Vancouver. And they had a, a woman going away on maternity leave who was in sales. And they asked if I wanted to cover. I'm like, yes, sales. That sounds... Like a, like a skill I need to learn in order to have my own business. Uh, so I said yes to it, and they actually kept me, kept me in the sales role, and it was super wonderful. I loved talking with customers. My job was to retain customers and then upsell them. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. Like even though I'm doing a 1,000 things at my small business, sales is the most important thing that I'm doing, and I'm always selling. That's, that's my number one job.
1: Makes me think of the saying that someone once told me that if you look around your office and you don't know who the head of sales is, yeah. it's you. Um, <laughs> it's so there <laughs> you go. You, you turned into the head of sales. Um, very cool. So you take this leap in, yeah. into entrepreneurship mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. What was going through your head? What were the circumstances at the time? And what gave you the confidence to take that leap and, yeah, and move was forward? Just,
0: it was sort of pandemic related it was actually happened a little bit before then that i was like yep this is the time this is right for me um delay after delay during covid and such but yeah i just felt like it was time this is the time of my life where i can be a little bit more risky mm-hmm. financially and with my time and i still have the energy as a young person i've got all these great tools at my disposal like shopify um yeah let's give this a shot so i'm only a year and a half into my business so i don't consider like i by no means have made it. I also have the feeling that this could go south at any time. Mm-hmm. So I feel like hungry and grateful every day, which I think is important as well.
1: I do too. Uh, congrats on the early success. Oh, thank
0: you. <laughs> um,
1: what have been the biggest challenges so far?
0: Yeah. Um, it's all sales related, um, especially with a food product. I will say that I did start in my apartment, which was a secret at the time because you're not supposed to be manufacturing food at home. So anyway, I knew that I needed to push myself so that I could get a production space so that if CFIA did ever come around, I'd be like, look, I'm doing everything right. So anyway, that was an early motivator for me at first. But now all of a sudden I'm locked into a lease. So I need to have recurring revenue coming in and I need to keep pushing. And then we get big enough that okay, I need a person to be helping me. I need at least one staff member. I have two now. And so suddenly I have, you know, bills to pay. I have staff to be paying, which is a big responsibility. So I need to have more sales. And this is all great things. This is pushing me to grow faster so that I can get more responsibilities so I can grow more. Um, but it is always a challenge. And cash flow is always a problem. I don't think that'll ever end.
1: But you've got that background in HR True. and that probably helps you yeah. with the hiring
0: yeah. Totally, um,
1: and building your team and yeah. obviously thinking about company culture yes. and things like that. Yes. Um, is company culture on the radar? I know you said it's early, but as someone with your background, it must be, right? With
0: I have the same philosophy with culture as I do with branding. I want to invest. I'm going to have to invest in it eventually. I might as well do it properly from the beginning. So yes, I've absolutely thought about what I want my company culture to be. Um, even small things like I want there to be music playing at all times. Um, and so at the office, the Bluetooth speaker is always, always running. Um, and yeah, just treating my employees like adults and with respect. And if they care about the product as much as me, then there is no reason for me to be overbearing, all, all sorts of things. And working at the tech company, I would say before where they had a pretty relaxed atmosphere where they still treated people like adults. Yeah, that's something I want to emulate for sure.
1: When you think about getting the product into additional retailers, yes. are there retailers of choice, let's say? Mm-hmm. Um, and what separates, say, a Walmart from a Costco, from a Loblaws, from yeah. a Sobeys, et cetera, et cetera?
0: I feel like at this stage, I'm less picky about, I, w- I would never say no to someone who wants to stock my brand. In the future, I might be more like, I, I want to be in a Whole Foods versus a, a No Frills, for example things like that. But at this stage, I'm just grateful to get in, get in anywhere.
1: What are you doing in terms of celebrating wins and celebrating milestones? I know you had uh, this huge first distributor Mm -hmm. order that had to be filled. Um, You probably reached some sales milestones that you're happy about. How do you think about that? Um,
0: Being an entrepreneur, as cliche as it is, is such a roller coaster. There are like some pretty low lows. So you have to make the absolute most of every win. That is that's a huge deal. So like yeah, a big one of mine was a large order I had from Bell Canada. They con- they continue to be my largest customer, which is amazing. They reached out to me and wanted to do some employee appreciation boxes and many thousands of jars. And that was a big stretch for me uh, to, to fulfill this order. But I just said, yep. And then I worried about logistics later. Luckily, I have really wonderful friends who could come in and help me do it. Like we had a labeling party and we... Spent five hours, 15 of us labeling jars one evening, which is, it's pretty nice to have friends who will do that. Um, But yeah, so treating that as a party, having beer there, having pizza there, that is a celebration in and of itself, sharing that on social media. So the people who are my customers who have helped me achieve that goal can also feel like they're celebrating. Or like for my thousandth order through Shopify, making that a big deal on social media and and racing people. Making it live, saying, like, are you going to get this order? Like, get your orders in because we're so close um, sort of thing. Yeah, making a big deal of what could be considered small wins, big wins, just, like, enjoying it all.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, you raised the idea of cash flows yes. earlier in the conversation. <laughs> uh, with some of these big orders, mm-hmm. right, uh, that requires oftentimes big financing. Absolutely. Um, how are you thinking about managing your cash flow uh, is part of the business debt financed? Are you thinking about raising equity at some point?
0: All of it is from my savings, which I'm extremely lucky to be able to do that. I know I'm in such a privileged position, and especially to be not taking a salary even at this point. So I know that that's not something that everyone can do, but it certainly helps. I will, I'm very open to debt financing. I think I'm more open to that than giving up equity because probably a theme throughout this interview is I'm all about the control of my mm-hmm. own company. Mm-hmm. That said, I would be super comfortable giving up, you know, 5%, 10% if I found the right partner who is going to help me take it to the next level. But yeah, especially with my name on the jar, I want to keep it as close as I can to myself for as long as possible.
1: What about your parents? They've obviously, <laughs> they might be a good strategic partner.
0: Yeah, they could be. I feel like they do me so many favors to begin with. Mm-hmm. Not the getting if they wanted to be an equity partner, it would be a a favor necessarily. I'd make it worth their while, but they give me really good payment terms for the honey. And they're like always the last people to be paid, which is honestly just embarrassing. The thing about my parents too is as wonderful as their beekeeping operation is they have never had a, like a brand or sell directly to customers. They're just commercial beekeepers who sell it by the drum, by the truckload. So they might not be the best partners to help me get into stores. Um, So maybe I'd want someone with more connections Mm -hmm. rather than in small-town Alberta. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but something to think about for sure.
1: Um, On the personal side, so during the pandemic, we've seen this whole YOLO movement. I think it's, is it You Only Live Once? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The YOLO movement. Yes. You Only Live Once. right. Uh, People leaving (laughs) their job, people Mm -hmm. starting a gig, people starting a business, people jumping into new partnerships, people traveling, all those things. Mm This transition happened for you during the pandemic. Yeah. How do you think about this on a personal level? And how do you balance work and personal?
0: The pandemic helped me see like, yeah, life is short. Life can change literally at any point. I want to be doing what, what I've always dreamed of. And having my own business is, is what I've always been working towards. So it felt like the right time. For your question about kind of separating work and personal life, it is always a challenge. Um, Any entrepreneur will tell you that. Um, But yeah, there's going to be times when I'm working super late, I'm sending emails at 10pm, getting caught up on stuff. But there's also going to be days when I'm super fortunate that I can go have coffee with my friend at 2pm. And yeah, it's not work and life anymore. It's just life. So it's all ties together.
1: What is the next chapter for Chandler?
0: Yeah, Um, so many avenues that I can go down, I don't have a, like a specific roadmap because it all depends so much on how one thing goes, but I could definitely do more flavor infusions, increase my line out that way. I could start importing honeys from around the world and hopefully Chandler Honey has such a good reputation that people would say, okay, if Teak puts her stamp of approval on this honey, maybe she's been there to travel, to meet the beekeepers, it's got to be good enough for me. And having people trust my brand, hopefully they can trust the honey that I bring in. So that's an avenue as well. Could be skincare, could be other, other lines that way. Um, but ultimately, my goal right now is just getting more sales of what I'm doing right now. So that's working with more distributors – working with more partners, um, just getting onto more shelves and into the hands of more people because, uh, yeah, that's the name of the game.
1: (laughs) Sticky products, sticky customers. Exactly, hopefully. Uh, That's the goal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Teek, thanks so much for being here. Great to talk to you Thank you. What an
0: honor. And Shopify is always just such a dream to work with. The team, the interface itself, even the support team, if you ever need help. So such an honor. Thank you.